This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Energy Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things at the intersection of energy and finance. Uh, this is Hill. I've got Hill Vading with me again, and I'm Brianne Doherty, of course, and we are near the end of the year, so this is probably going to be one of our last podcasts for 2020, I think. Yeah, we've got, what, about 10 or 15 more days until the end of the year, so this is a, a, a wrap-up and a look forward. So this is going to be a lot of pressure on our guests. Good thing we have three of them. Uh, yeah, have... I feel like we're in a uh, phone booth. We, we've got, <laughs> you know, a, a Microsoft Teams phone booth. We, we, it's a crowded. Well, we want to we want to make it extra special. We've got three power experts with us, which is um, always exciting to think that we've got so many of them in one room. It doesn't happen very often. That's the beauty of uh, these virtual home working environments, I guess. Right, we're able to corral a lot more experts into one space a lot easier than it maybe would have been if we were having to look around in the office all the time right so yeah that's that's the win that we've that we've had in 2020 we have um doug jufrey with us he's been with us before so you'll recognize that voice and um i think he's got a famous voice we talked about it last time right because you actually are an announcer is this right is that this is true yes i do some uh Pee-wee football announcing. So famous in my town, maybe. Yeah. So we're, we're hoping to leverage your fan base and, you know, blend it into ours here because you're, you're a repeat here on our podcast. We've also got Wade Schaefer, who's also been here before. Welcome, Wade. Yeah. Thanks for having me on this powerful podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And we have Patrick Luco, who's a new joiner, which means I'm just going to go on the record and say it means that Doug and Wade must have given Hill and I a pretty good recommendation that we've been able to lure in a third. So they thank definitely you did for, <laughs> for joining us. I'm excited to I'm gonna, be here. I'm going to take it as a pat on our back hill that we're very hospitable. Yeah, either that or Patrick lost a bet, and uh, <laughs> this is his penance. <laughs> True. Or or Wade and Doug have said we got to bring somebody on because we're just sick of talking to these guys. We're going to go with the first one because it just makes me feel better, and it's the holiday season, so why not? So we're going to start off. We actually we did this last week. Um, on a podcast with Reed Olmsted and uh, David Vaucher, who I think some of you might know. And we had a little bit of discussion. It was a would you rather type podcast. Um, we're not going to go through the same type of theme here, but we are going to start off with the same question, which is when you think about habits that you've picked up in 2020 amidst um, all of this COVID stress and change of behavior, what of those, which of those habits do you think that you are going to keep when we get to the other side of this? I'm going to uh, think of one that maybe is a little bit different than the one that I gave before. And um, actually, you know what? No, because I don't. I can't think of one right now that's different from before. So instead, I'm going to punt it directly out to Hill. Maybe Hill has thought of one <laughs> last week that's different from the last one he gave. Well, I mean, I guess so. So last week I said audiobooks um, that, that, that I, I've been able to listen to more audiobooks because I just walk around the house. Um, and uh, I guess included with my uh, headphones that allows me to listen to audiobooks, uh, I wear slippers a lot. 
because uh, I don't leave the house very often. <laughs> and so I, I think slippers may be something that, that stay with me uh, for, for more of 2021 uh, with or without COVID uh, because our, you know, it looks like our working from home uh, flexibility will, you know, in, in all likelihood continue. So it's not as though you're going to bring slippers to the office, though. Because we, we, we will see. We will see. I'm not sure I can pull it off, but maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think that might that might fall into the weird. <laughs> so it's an opportunity to remake corporate America fashion, right? Athletic wear in the office, slippers. Instead of working from home, bring the home to work, right? Bring the dog. This yeah. Is one, yeah. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It will be interesting. You raise a valid point. I wonder if even, I mean, so many environments have gone pretty casual, I think, over the last five years anyways. I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not even offices that had not gone fully, had not gone really casual, if really um, it veers that direction now because people are just used to being when a bit I more saw, casual. I saw a headline this week that, that meggings are now a thing. Did these what? are leggings that men wear? Oh, dear. So, so, so maybe meggings and slippers will be the, the new casual Friday uh, for <laughs> offices all over the world. Yeah, not excited about that. <laughs> I'm going to put that on the record right there. Uh, Future workday training, perhaps. We're going to have to have a whole new HR intervention exactly. um, plan going on here. Uh, how about you, Doug? Do you have anything that you've picked up in 2020 that you think you'll carry on? Well, yes, but I don't think it's a good thing. I mean, I've been working from home since 2010. So, oh. you know, what I've changed my behavior is I stopped going to the gym sometime back in March and I haven't been able to get myself <laughs> back there. <laughs> and I don't really have a great excuse because the gyms have opened back up. Uh, I've just become too accustomed to waking up late, strolling into my office, and then shutting the computer down and watching TV. So, I'm going to have to break this habit at some point, but it's uh, it's proving the difficult not to crack. <laughs> Wade, you're up. Wade. I'm up. So besides the active wear, you know, wearing active wear, the office, maybe, maybe. Uh, I don't know, wa- walking a lot. So I've been, you know, walking for four or five miles a night. So we'll see if that continues wow. once, once wow. I have to go back to the office. I guess I used to walk to the office. So it's more, you know, translating the walk to the office to more of a fun walk to the neighborhood. But yeah, maybe, maybe walking. We'll do you see. have a pet or, or do you just walk without a pet? Just, yeah. Podcasts though. You know, the podcasts <laughs> help and the audiobooks help. So are you uh, one no, who no, walks his the fresh phone? air? What's what's that Hill? Are you one who walks his phone? I see people walking down the street, walks staring at their phone and it looks like they're walking their dog, but it's <laughs> as if they're taking their iPhone for a walk. Uh, the phone is in my pocket. So, okay. <laughs> so yes, I don't, yeah. Still use my eyes when I'm walking. That's so, but, more evolved than I am. <laughs> old, I'm old school like that. I use, okay. use my eyes and put my phone in my pocket. <laughs> Instead of the Google Maps to direct your <laughs> How about you, Patrick? I think Hill's got my number. I'm a recent convert to sweatpants. Oh, man. They're warm and comfortable, and I, I don't see that changing in the future. Even with the advent of Meggings? Or are you going to stick with the sweatpants? I haven't seen <laughs> Meggings before. I'll have to check them out. I'm open to it, but sweatpants are pretty nice. I for okay, so I I thought mine's kind of similar to what I said last time. Last time I said that I actually want to spend, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to spend as much more time outside. I think that being at home when I do go outside, I feel like I'm enjoying my time outside a little bit more. And this sounds really cheesy, but I, I gave some cheesy answers last last week as well. So let's just put it out there again. I think I talk to people in my neighborhood more. 
I feel like everybody's a little bit more chatty. Maybe because we can't talk to our friends or see our friends as often. But because of it, I, I feel like when I'm outside and I'm walking around, I recognize people from the neighborhood a little bit more. And we, we give our hellos or you run into them in the same type of spots and you can have a little bit of, you know, socially distanced mask wearing chit chat. Um, so I think that'll probably keep up. I think I'm probably going to be a little bit friendlier. <laughs> I think 2020 made me friendly, friendlier outside of my walls because um, you just weren't able to be friendly as you normally would have been. So I, may, I think I'll keep that up. And in New York. So, so that's uh, uh, against kind of the, 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 the normal perception or, or the normal yeah. of New York. Normally, I have Sarah's. I was kind of one of those culprits that had my headphones in and, you know, you're just doing your thing not really paying too much attention to what anybody else is doing. Uh, now I feel like I'm so starved for a little bit of social interaction. <laughs> Anyone, anything that is within, you know, earshot distance is, is going to hear my high. <laughs> They're going to hear from me. you. Yeah. <laughs> well, can, the trick is, can you please to, talk to me? <laughs> you can be able to recognize people without masks, though. you got to learn who's, who's I, you know, who has what yeah. eyes. You know? So true. That is actually, um, <laughs> have you got, do you know what's really funny about that, though, is that, Sometimes I find it really hard to understand people with masks on, right? right? Because some, you know, sometimes different accents or people speak in different volumes that I, I do just kind of blind and blindly nod and laugh sometimes because I have no idea what someone's talking <laughs> about. Um, because without the, with the masks on, it's just harder to get the cues, like the social cues from from speech and smile and things like that, that it's a little bit awkward sometimes. But um, so I'm keen to have the masks off. I think it'll enable a different level of this newfound socialization of mine around the neighborhood. For those for those people in New York, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that crazy person that's walking through the streets just randomly saying hello to everybody. Please stop. You're making the rest of us uncomfortable. This this yeah. might be somebody's gonna somebody's gonna email me at work here and say, yeah, stop. Everybody wants you to stop. Though to be clear, you are wearing your mask as you make people uncomfortable. So, so you're not endorsing maskless interaction. No, no, no. I am I am wearing my mask and people <laughs> probably do not understand what I'm saying. And <laughs> right. uh, are just as I do, blindly nodding and laughing, thinking <laughs> Maybe she'll go away if I just yeah. keep nodding and laughing. There's that girl who keeps talking to us. Yeah. She, she's, she's not getting the social cue because she can't see my face. Right. Um, all right. Well, those are those are all good takeaways. Most of them involve uh, us all being a little more casual and uh, free-loving, it sounds like. So that's good. So those are good things to take away from 2020. We had, um, oh, I guess, I, I don't know, Wade, if you had one before, though. We, we did ask Reed. Is the beard COVID-specific? It came, but yes, it is. It came about COVID, but this might, yeah, that's a good point. The beard might stay post COVID, I think. Oh, that's a good point. Go. Forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. For all those <laughs> listening, you can listen to my beard. You can't see it, <laughs> but the beard will stay, I think. Maybe his personality is also, you know, grown with the beard, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing, and I, we're bringing this up because actually he'll, as he always does, raised a nice little um, bit of trivia to me today but we also spoke of the the fitness craze doug you mentioned going to the gym or or not going to the gym so maybe the question is to you have you become an adoptee of either the mirror or peloton or the like or you're just forfeiting fitness (laughs) i have not i I do have a home gym in my garage that i convinced myself through april and may to use that and then that also 
kind of faded as well. And, you know, it's going to be hard to convince myself to use that in the winter. But no, I have not adopted the Peloton or the mirror. Well, there was a there was an article in the paper this weekend talking about the CEO of Peloton. And apparently he worked nights while putting himself through college before starting Peloton. And he worked nights at a Skittles factory, which seems like a really cool job to have. Um, my, my first thought, so, and I asked my wife, I said, which Skittles would you take? Because okay, I would take the, the red ones and the green ones because I think they make the, the best combination. And she said that she would have taken the, the, the yellows and the oranges, which are my giveaways, which you know basically makes us the perfect couple. Which is why you're married. <laughs> yes, That's precisely. Case in point. And Brianna had visions of this being like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory type Skittles factory. With, oh, I just know. envisioned Skittles raining from the ceiling. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is not the case. As I said to Hill, it probably looks just like some sort of GM auto part type of factory. But I'm envisioning bright colors and lively music and, you know, Willy Wonka walking around just tossing Skittles everywhere. <laughs> and Palupas. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's what I envisioned would be happening at the Skittles factory. But I, what a random piece of knowledge. And who even – of course there's a Skittles factory, but who knew – that there'd be a skills factory. So the question back out to all of you is, if you got to work in a candy factory, which candy would it be that you would want to have all access to? Patrick? I'm not a big Skittles fan. I love dark chocolate. I don't know if there's like a, a, a giant, big, generic dark chocolate manufacturing factory, but if such so you're a thing you're going to grow sophisticated and be in like the lint chocolate Definitely, <laughs> yeah. Waiter Doug, any candy factories? Oh, for me, it would be Swedish fish, and it's not even close. Oh, man. <laughs> you, could be a, you could be a fisherman. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough question. I think I think uh, more in line with Doug's man of the people being a fisherman, I think I would go with M&M's. Those, yeah. those would be pretty good. Although, I guess, would you know... Would, it, would your skin start like changing colors or whatever from being around all the, the dye and everything all the time? Like the melty M&Ms and how it gets on your hands and everything, you know, could be. Oh, we don't need to get specifics, Wade. That seems well, that's right. the Charlie and the Chocolate factory, right? The, the violet's turning violet. That's uh, true. Well, that's true. That's true. I think I'd be in a, take a the peanut butter cup. I think I'd be in a pe like Reese's peanut butter cup factory. Or I think I'd get fired from the peanut butter cup factory. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Hill? Would you actually choose the Skittles factory? Uh, Skittles would be close. I'm a big fan of Sour Patch Kids. Uh, oh, so that too. might be uh, another one. But but I I would hope to be inspired to to start a home workout facility. Um, <laughs> if ever having a job within a candy factory, I, I did work at a pizza joint for a long time, uh, and grew so tired that there's only so much you can do with pizza. And when all of you know our, our benefit was a shift meal which was either breadsticks, cheese sticks, or pizza like every night. And I was working five days a week, so it was, oh. <laughs> it was a lot of pizza. Yeah. And do, you, and do you steer clear of pizza now, forever and ever? No, I'm, I'm, I mean, this was 20 years ago. Uh, and so I, I have worn back up to pizza, but there was a period there that I was less interested in pizza. I think that's, I think that's how it works. I, I worked at a restaurant, and all I remember is the smell of Caesar salad, and I can't something about Caesar salad now forever and ever. Just not my thing. 
All right. Those are all very important topics, obviously, um, that I'm sure our listeners were, were thrilled to hear about. What we're really here to talk about today is the power markets, though, because um, we have such an esteemed panel with us. So uh, let's let's pivot a little bit and talk about that. 2020. Maybe first things first. What about 2020? How how wrong were the forecasts going in, and what and what aspect of the forecasts were surprising? Now that we're looking back on 2020 as opposed to forwards onto it. Wrong, presumably because of COVID. Yes, yes, say, of we course. Were, not, just, we were... not just because of modeling mishaps or anything. Yeah, I say, we were. We predicted COVID. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, COVID is what jumps out. I mean, I think, I think just. The how quickly the world changed, and thinking back to the spring when it was all unfolding, and the shutdowns were happening, states you know were shutting down, sort of wondering how bad it was going to be, and maybe maybe the for maybe maybe the surprise is that how how not so terrible the forecasts were even with COVID, and how resilient power was even despite COVID, and now sitting at the end of the year, sort of looking at the weather and. Depending how the winter, sh- well, I guess the winter's over for the most part. Winter 2020 is over, so I guess it's been pretty mild. But um, but even going forward, January, February, I mean, the weather, you know, depending on how hot it was this summer, or how cold it was this winter, I mean, it could have negated COVID altogether and sort of left the industry, you know, not affected that much on an annual basis or even you know higher. So yeah, I guess to me, to me, the big takeaway was just how how not so bad the forecasts were despite COVID because the effect on the market wasn't as drastic as it has been on economics or on certain industries, service industries, you know, those, those sort of things. And Doug, was that fairly true across all of the power markets w- within the U.S. Or, or were there some where, where there were maybe more, more of a noticeable effect in terms of expectations at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I mean, that's a, you raise a good point. Um, Wade is correct that, you know, when we look back now sitting in December and looking at electricity consumption, because for us, we spent much of the year thinking through and talking about how is COVID impacting the different customer classes? You know, so we were all working from home. We know that home residential usage was going to be higher. There was a period of time, you know, when businesses were shut down. So electricity from commercial industrial customers uh, declined quite significantly through the second quarter. But looking back, we're talking about a total decline for the U.S. of about 3% um, in annual electricity consumption. Uh, you know, that's along or on par with where we were in the last recession. You know, when we saw, you know, commercial industrial loads probably down about 6 to 7% uh, for the year. But yeah, as you you mentioned, there are regions of the country where the impact is not so severe. So a good example is New England. New England, the composition of customers there is, you know, residential is a much larger component of the total. There's not as much heavy industry there. So on net, their electricity usage for the year was down, but only modestly because residential helped offset things. Move to the industrial Midwest, and there, you know, big businesses, big industrial customers, automakers, they comprise a much larger share of total consumption, and their electricity demand or usage was down more significantly this year. So, you know, if you looked at the forecast in January of 2020, you know, their demand would have looked quite differently. And then that flows through to different aspects of the market. So electricity pricing, 
and some of the markets which utilize natural gas uh, much more significantly in the dispatch, you know, their power prices are probably lower than we would otherwise have expected. You know, we entered this year expecting gas, natural gas prices to be down relative to last year. But of course, with COVID, the disruptions in fuel sectors, uh, prices really fell significantly. That all flows through the power sector. So it does vary around the country for uh, different reasons, composition of your customer class and also your power generation fleet, and, you know, how that's stacked up. So when you think of, as you're forecasting, through to 2021, how many of the, what's that look like? How, how much of this COVID factor is being integrated into the 2021 outlook or are you kind of looking at it relatively business as usual because there wasn't as much of an impact? Yeah, I think this is one of the areas where I felt there were a lot of hot takes in the industry about how electricity consumption patterns were going to be altered uh, permanently. And, you know, there will be some of that, no doubt. More of us will be working from home uh, on a sustained basis, certainly into 2021, even uh, further out. Uh, but eventually, you know, many people will go back to work. But it's going to change consumption patterns. The question is to what degree. I'm not sure we have that enough information yet. But even if you look at the trends over the course of the year, by the third quarter, electricity consumption patterns were fairly close to, I don't want to say normal, but you know where they were the average of the last five to 10 years. Um, you know, part of that is weather, as Wade had suggested. So when we look out to next year, I think you know, commercial industrial demand or load from those classes will improve relative to 2020. Residential is probably going to come down uh, modestly, but that's going to be uh, heavily influenced by weather. So I think you have a little bit of a rebound. Electricity consumption probably doesn't get back to 2019 levels until 2022. So it's going to be a gradual recovery, at least, you know, in our sort of planning case. Other areas, though, where I think you incorporate COVID into your forecast for power sector in 2021 would be you know, what's happening in the fuels market and how does that flow through to the power business? So I mentioned gas prices fell very low this year. Uh, I know you've had previous guests on talking about what's happening in that sector, but, you know, the pullback of uh, the oil production has impacted natural gas. There's expected to be, and we're kind of already seeing it, natural gas prices rebounding. And so, you know, our colleagues on the gas side are projecting gas prices next year above $3 per MMBTU. What that means for the power businesses, we'll probably have a short-term rebound in the coal business. You know, we still have about a fifth of our electricity is generated by coal plants. And if gas prices are higher next year, they're gonna to continue to fight it out in the dispatch stack. And in areas like the upper Midwest, we're gonna see those coal plants running at higher utilizations than we're used to. That's probably going to be a short-term phenomenon, and as uh, dry gas production comes back and gas prices fall again, then we're going to see the long-term decline of the coal sector, you know, continue or become reestablished. So I think one of the things when you look at 2021, uh, you're going to see coal generation and U.S. power sector carbon emissions have a, a little short-term rebound. So that's deeply ironic, given that that we will also be getting be beginning the, the, the presidency of Joe Biden, who has made 
coalesce the focus of his campaign than Donald Trump did you know, coming into office, you know, four, four years ago. Patrick, as we're thinking about, you know, the, the, the power industry in, in the U.S. next year and a, a new president and policy, you know, so, so it sounds as if, as if Doug just described, in a sense, a, a higher emitting year uh, on, you know, in terms of expectations for next year because more coal is going to be put back to work and I guess demand will be higher. Is that reasonable expectation? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's the degree to which emissions are impacted by that is remains uncertain. But uh, to go back to the previous question, I was going to say the thing I spend a lot of time on is carbon markets, uh, particularly in the Northeast and in California. These market-based greenhouse gas policies, and everyone was worried they were going to really suffer with COVID reducing emissions this year, um, but they've rebounded really quickly. And some of that is what Doug was talking about. Demand has has started to come back, but I think a lot of it is also there's there's long-term confidence in these programs, in the, the interest in states across the country reducing emissions uh, and value being placed on that going forward. Uh, so there might be near-term uh, changes, uh, but I think broadly, a Biden administration and the state governments across the country are are supportive of environmental regulations in the future. So, any kind of any balance for 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 coal is going to be more of a, a short term one off. It's definitely a short term thing. Yeah, I, I think the the coal industry will struggle in the coming decade, and that's what you've seen in our outlooks for for quite a while now, just the the economics alone struggle compared to natural gas and declining renewables costs. But the the policy push is there as well. Uh, and I think the combination of those different elements is going to really contribute to a rapid reduction in the carbon intensity of the U.S. power grid. I'm going to go back a second to something that was actually, we, we talked about it in the last time we had you guys here, the California blackouts, and I know Wade especially has looked at it a little bit more closely, kind of in a, you know, the more time that you're away from the California blackout, now you can see more data. So can we just, as a quick recap, sort of think about the learnings from that? And is there anything as we look to 2021 or, uh, you know, even within the 2022 time period that you think um, we can expect to come off the back of that event? Yeah, I mean, I think it really highlights just um, the pace of change that's coming to the industry. So, you know, we might see an uptick in, in CO2 emissions next year in 2021, um, but I don't think really any utility is changing their plans to retire coal. I think you're, you're still seeing, you're going to see a, quite a fast turnover in the generation fleet and a shedding of coal capacity, especially in the Western U.S. That is, uh, you know, possibly unprecedented, just the, the rate of change. And so, you know, the what happened with the California blackouts this summer, um, you know, really highlights um, how both, you know, extreme weather, climate change, right? Just, you know, the new, you know, the new normal we're heading into that seems to be reestablished every year as something more disastrous happens um, than the previous year. Um, but really, you know, it, it, the, the blackouts highlight how, you know, the intensifying climate heat can challenge the current approach the industry takes to planning for reliability and, and sort of planning infrastructure it can challenge that. And in addition, just the need for 
regulations and policy and thinking to really keep up with the changing technology and the move to variable renewable generation and batteries and just the immense complexity of uh, running a power system like that relative to the, the past where, you know, it was relatively simpler uh, in that in that you had, you know, dispatchable generation technologies that were very deterministic. You could turn them on and off and dial them up and dial them down. But now uh, the future is one where you need to be able to predict how sunny it's going to be tomorrow, two days from now, three days from now, a week from now, a month from now, um, how windy it's going to be, um, what are the interactions between all that, and how are you going to get all the electrons you need to keep everyone happy, to keep the lights on, um, to keep, you know, keep our Netflix going and our Amazon Prime and, and Disney Plus and whatever, equal equal plugging of streaming services here. Um, but anyways, to keep all that keep all that entertainment going, you know, it's going to take a lot of a lot of new new thinking and and new planning and new systems and processes to ready for that future and 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 you know supply demand with renewable and, and lower carbon energy and so and so you know so so California lots start thinking about that and you see other grid operators across the West starting to think about that and, and thinking about what what power infrastructure is needed um, to to maintain the reliability that we've enjoyed historically. So how are you, I mean, has there been a change, I guess, in 2020 and uh, in, in how you and I guess more broadly the, the, the whole kind of energy observing landscape views renewable in the power mix? There, there seem to be renewables as a bucket for, for many years. That this is what is going to be filled by a you know, vague renewables. Are you looking at it more distinctly now? And, and is that new 2020 where now I need to look at solar and wind as discrete levers, as opposed to just something that is not gas or not coal. Yeah, you know the sh the pencil has the pencil has been sharpened or it needs to be sharpened in the current environment we're in. So, so historically the the power markets in in North America have enjoyed a large surplus, and so there was lots of extra power generation capacity, extra power plants that were built, you know, in previous years when expectations for demand growth were higher before the financial crisis, which led to, you know, just destruct demand destruction, just big energy intensive industries closing and never coming back. Um, so before that time, there were, you know, power plants were being built because the expectations were that demand was going to keep growing. But now that we've gone, you know, more than a decade of basically flat demand growth in the long run, you know, there there had there has been and still is in, in most of the U.S. and the eastern U.S., there still is all these extra power plants. And so, you know, you the you know utilities, the industry, developers, regulators, everyone basically was you know, be able to rely on that surety and um, build renewables as just energy resources, right? Because you had all these power plants there that were able to keep the lights on if it happened, the sun wasn't shining, the wind wasn't blowing. But now in California and really across Western U.S., you're at the point where there is not. There is not much extra capacity. Now there is extra capacity, like we plan for, like the industry plans for, you know, with, with the reliability uh, studies and planning. But there's not extra capacity on top of that, right? And so then, really, you know, one needs to sharpen their pencil and think really carefully about, you know, the amount of solar, the amount of wind, and how do you not only supply the energy from solar and wind, but how do you continue to provide the capacity that historically we've enjoyed from gas or coal. But now, you know, maybe that capacity needs to come from batteries. It needs to come from demand response uh, and or solar and wind partially. And so, you know, 
California shows that, you know, in an environment where demand is a lot higher than everyone planned for because of the intense heat wave that hadn't happened in many years, um, you know, that that shows the future of what, you know, what could happen if there are not sufficient capacity resources that can keep the lights on in addition to this, the solar and the wind that provide, provide us with energy. So from a technology standpoint, there should be a continued focus on batteries and the improvement of that technology specifically. Do you think that's going to be the, the focus over the oh, near for term? Sure. Yeah. For sure, yeah. So ba batteries paired with solar and wind. So yeah. it's, you know, historically, the whole power generation portfolio was largely tied up in one asset, right? So you have a, mm -hmm. a gas plant that provides energy by burning natural gas. It provides capacity because it can ramp up and down. And it's flexible because it, because it can respond very quickly, you know, to commands from the central dispatcher. The future is one where the, the natural gas molecules become sunshine and wind. That's the energy. It's created from solar panels and wind turbines, but then those resources need another asset that's capacity and flexibility. And so that other asset is, is a battery potentially. And so together a battery, solar and wind and a power system, they can provide you know, a lot of the attributes that a gas and a coal plant have provided historically. It's just the future is one where the whole portfolio is going to do what you know previously an individual power plant could do. Yeah, and as Wade said, you know, he mentioned um, sh they need to sharpen the pencil. I mean, that is what's ongoing now. A lot of the grid planning and a lot of the transmission uh, operators, it's not enough anymore to say, okay, I've got so many gigawatts of wind on my system, and typically you get 15% of your installed capacity from wind. You know, they'll be available on a hot summer's day. You know, so, you know, you just derate them down. You assume you get a certain average capacity from them, and that's enough to help maintain reliability. There are so many dynamics now between how solar and wind are affecting load, how batteries can affect load, how dispatchable load and real-time load reductions. All of these have to be planned together. And so a lot of these uh, regional transmission organizations, Kaiso being one of them, are doing a lot of very detailed analysis of, how these interact, and importantly, how the interactions can evolve over time as you add more and more both wind, solar, and batteries on the grid. So it's planning uh, to meet reliability much different than we have done in the past. The industry is you know, still exploring the right techniques and approaches to, to model this out, you know, but that's where we are. I mean, I think there's a recognition that certainly batteries are going to play a big role and presumably much longer duration batteries. So if the industry standard today is, say, four-hour batteries, we kind of know that 10, 15 years from now, typical grid-scale batteries are going to need to be six to eight hours, maybe longer in duration. I mean, that's just how the industry is going to evolve. And then, you know, it leads you in, uh, you know, the other hot buzzword today is hydrogen. And that question is, you know, when will that realistically play a role in terms of providing that much longer duration uh, resource, um, you know, that, that it is carbon free? And that's why it, there's so much conversation about it today. So batteries, we're, we're talking 10 to 15 years before we get to that six to eight hour or, or 10 hour time period, we think it's we're going to be in a four hour battery window the, the technology may be there i think the the question is when does the need emerge 
So, you know, one of the things you need to worry about is when solar begins, solar production on the grid begins to fall off because the sun is setting, you have a rapid decline in the amount of generation that's coming from solar. And you, you know, one asset that can help fill in that gap as solar ramps down is have your batteries ramp up. And, you know, today, a four-hour battery is sufficient in most markets to be able to provide that kind of ramp on until other resources are ready. As we move out into the future and you've got more and more solar on the grid, um, the need may, you may need more like a six to eight-hour battery. I think in our outlook, you know, we're probably on four-hour batteries into the early 2030s. Some markets, California is probably one of them. You'll need six-hour batteries earlier. But by and large, I think the standard will be four. It's in the early 2030s and through the mid-2030s that six- and eight-hour batteries will likely become the standard. Into the 2040s, it'll be eight- and ten-hour batteries. Um, But we don't see battery battery technology is not a limiting factor right now. That four-hour battery technology, for instance, isn't, we think, preventing the proliferation of a certain type of renewable generation. I don't think it's a limiting factor okay. today. I mean, we, some of the PPAs, uh, Wade put out really interesting research um, earlier this year looking at a solicitation in uh, California, which looked at pairing solar uh, with batteries and comparing that cost against other technologies. And it's very favorable. I mean, the cost is high, but the value it provides is even higher. So if you're judging these things on a cost-benefit analysis, that looks like an optimal resource in a market like California. When we're looking, so, so you mentioned 10 to 15 years for kind of the, the step change in, in battery storage or energy storage, which seems to be on the same timeline as what we're hearing for hydrogen to, to really mature. And to you know, it, it, we often hear of hydrogen and batteries and solar and wind kind of competing for market share against traditional fossil fuels. Um, sh- should we be looking at hydrogen investment and battery investments, you know, almost in competition with each other? That Are they both trying to hit the market at the same time? They do. They're, they're a little different. So I think each one has their own value proposition to the market. And I think I think when Doug was speaking on it, to me, it really hits on just how disruptive battery technology is, right? So today, four hours is sufficient and cost competitive in increasingly more and more markets with a traditional gas peaker. Now, 10 years from now, maybe we need six six hours or eight hours. Okay, well then go back to some of the existing battery sites and let's add some more battery modules on that site and turn it from four hours to six hours. So you, you're extending the duration require, you know, the duration storage capability of an existing battery site, but it's it's megawatt rating, it's interconnection rating, which is you know it plugging into the power grid. That's still the same. So you can within you know, uh, possibly, I mean, these are all un- unanswered questions down in the technical details, but possibly, you know, it, you, one could expand existing batteries to then continue to keep up with whatever uh, the grid requirements are. Now, now, with that said, there are detailed engineering requirements, you know, studies that, that um, the grid operators do to make sure that going from four hours to six hours, you know, at a site doesn't mess up the whole grid and knock everything out. So the, the pencil will need to be sharpened on that as well. <laughs> Um, but but nevertheless, I mean, you, you know, the batteries are so module, you know, modular that you can just expand as needed um, and, and sort of keep up with the changing grid conditions and continue to disrupt and mess with 
the business of existing gas CTs and gas combined cycles. And so, and so with that said, I mean that you know, so batteries, I think, you know, are are most similar to to CTs and and maybe a little bit. I guess like, like CTs, maybe a little bit like combined cycles once they have to cycle a lot when renewables are high, but they're largely uh, well positioned for daily cycling. So say moving moving the sunshine from the afternoon to you know eight to, to eight to twelve a.m. Uh, or, or beyond midnight into the early morning hours. That's that's really what a battery can do really well and cost effectively is every day sort of shift the solar generation from the daytime to evening or shift wind generation around. Where hydrogen comes into play is is more like um, more like natural gas in that it can hold energy and in inventory very cost effectively. So it scales up really well on an inventory cost basis. And what I mean by that is, you know, being able to store solar energy produced in in May for use in December. And so a battery is never going to be well positioned to do that because even if a battery is super cheap capex wise. It's incredibly inefficient and incredibly expensive to just charge a battery in May and have it sit there till December, discharge, and then recharge again in the springtime and then sit there until the winter. Mm-hmm. Whereas hydrogen, you could produce it from the excess solar energy uh, in the springtime or in the summertime, store it underground in salt caverns, kind of like we do with gas, right? Store gas underground and then draw on it uh, during the wintertime, pull it out of the salt cavern, put it into some pipes and deliver it to either fuel cells or combustion turbines and burn it. And that's something that hydrogen could do cost effectively that sitting here today, I don't I don't see batteries ever being able to do that cost effectively. So maybe a question for you, Patrick, is, I mean, hydrogen, obviously it's getting very, pop- people are talking about it a lot here in the US, but from a policy perspective, it's it's really taken hold in Europe, for instance. Do we think the policy is required here in the US to drive hydrogen as, as part of the generation stack going forward um, do we think that's something that we're gonna we're gonna start seeing or do we think that hydrogen is going to start making inroads even in the absence of direct policy related to it in the power sector I think you definitely need a very strong policy for hydrogen uh, there's just there's a lot of runway there's a lot of room to integrate very low cost renewables particularly with low-cost batteries before you get to the point that Wade was talking about, where you really need to think about seasonal storage. Uh, I think potentially in the nearer term where hydrogen becomes relevant is in other sectors of the economy. If you want to start decarbonizing transportation or industrial energy use, and their policy would also play a role, but it begins to be much more competitive and much more useful very quickly. Uh, and that has big implications for the power sector too, because it's it's likely, I would say, that much of that hydrogen is produced via electrolysis. So there's a substantial electric load demand, and if it's tied to renewable energy, there's demand for new new renewable resources alongside of that. So that's one of the places I look at when we're thinking about hydrogen in the next decade or two in the power sector. Is how can the power sector contribute to fulfilling the de- demand in other sectors. So really, it's a demand story, potentially, at, the, at, at least at the onset for, for the power sector. Yeah, I think so. As opposed to a supply it, story. Yeah, there, there's a role in the, in the power sector 
to to play in the stack of resources to draw upon, but the demand side is definitely more relevant in the near term, I think. All right. Well, you know, thinking, I guess, near term and in, in terms of 21 more broadly, and I'd like to kind of ask all of you uh, this question, maybe as a wrap up question uh, for, for the for the podcast today. And I guess, you know, kind of piggybacking on the on the sharpened penciled, uh, sharpening pencils image as well. Um, as we're thinking about headlines in, in 2021, um, so, so one of the, the big su- surprise headlines, I would say it surprised many, was Nextera market cap exceeding that that of Exxon uh, for, for a period earlier this year. And I think all of the major newspapers kind of republished the, the same idea you know, within weeks of one another because it caught so many people by surprise. As we're looking at the, the North America power market uh, in 2021, obviously COVID headlines were, were another surprise uh, to, to everybody as well. Where would be, what would be the surprise headlines uh, that, that you guys uh, are perhaps less surprised by next year as it relates to North America power? I'm going to throw it out to any of you. I don't want to call on one of you because one of you might not be ready, but I will. The one I would pick might be increased corporate procurement of renewable energy. I think you're going to continue to see a lot of announcements of goals, but also specific procurement of projects to meet corporate demand, um, to meet sustainability goals at big corporations across the country. Uh, Historically, a lot of those resources have been in places like Texas, where wind is really cheap. But I think you're going to start to see that expand across the country as companies want to procure their their supply from closer to where they're using it. Doug Wade? I would I would think, you know, um, I would not be surprised to see large energy companies or power companies continuing to transform into a new new version of themselves. So there's lots of shatter about changing business models, shedding shedding certain business units from large integrated energy companies, maybe unwinding the integration that has happened over the past decade or more um, as as um, companies continue to think about this changing world that we just talked about and how to position themselves in value chains to to capture the most profitable opportunities. So I would not be shocked to see something shocking <laughs> and, see, <laughs> and seeing uh, some some company that has been around for a long time or been the way it's been for for many, many years. Um, sort of dramatically changing what they look like from a business structure uh, side of things. And I, I don't know if this prediction, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I don't know if we'll see it in 2021, but I'm fairly confident that we're going to see a rebound in development of new natural gas power plants in this country. We've been on a decline since early 2018. The pipeline is really getting bare in terms of new projects that are being developed. And conventional wisdom today is that, you know, there's such a move to wind and solar and batteries, this conversation we were just having, that there's little room for new gas, there'd be a lot of opposition to building it. But I think reality is is going to require some development toward the mid-2020s, maybe to the back half of the 2020s. Because the coal fleet is under so much pressure, we're going to see a lot of retirements. Wind solar batteries will step up, play a very important role, but I think many utilities are going to lean on the historically reliable natural gas and will have a bit of a build cycle. If that is true, you're going to start seeing orders and projects enter queue pipelines within the next year or two, partly 2021 into 2022, 
So they have their three-year lead time for development. So I may be a little premature in this prediction, um, but maybe we revisit this next year. I'll make be more firm that that's coming in 2022. Well, this is being recorded, so. I was going to say, and you know what? We never quite know when you when you put out a general question like that. That sometimes you can get some you know some lame duck answers on that. All three of those, I'm actually pretty excited to follow up on. Because I think all three were uh, had enough meat to them that they they weren't just you know a toss away a toss away prediction for 2021. So good on all three of you. Yeah, and they're not mutually exclusive. No. So so I like we, it. we could have a turkey. Is that the the, the bowling <laughs> reference? <laughs> <laughs> so something to look forward to at the end of 2021. There, guys, is a revisit of these predictions and possibly a turkey, which I'm not going to lie is probably going to be an emailed image of a turkey. It's not going to be We'll see if Hill still has his slippers on at the end of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe he'll be wearing some turkey slippers for you. <laughs> Maybe some new slippers. All right. Oh, can I make one last prediction? Yes. Sure. I don't think that, what was it, Meggings? I don't think we'll see them in, the, in corporate <laughs> America in 2021. I'm going to go on record and agree that I hope I never see Meggings <laughs> um, in the office in particular, because that's just a lot of bad all over yeah maybe they'll be at the uh the, the first gas plant that, that is approved in doug's prediction <laughs> it's built by a team in meggings <laughs> so there's another mutually non-mutually exclusive prediction for us all things to look forward to and follow up on <laughs> yes all right well well thank you guys uh uh, for, for joining us uh, again, Wade and Doug, and, and for a first time, Patrick, and, and I hope you will come back at some point. Uh, hopefully this was enjoyable, at least not too painful. And have a good uh, new year if we don't talk before then. Uh, but thank you all. Happy New Year. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having thank us. You. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energyblog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.